Good morning. Uh, we are the Haynes family, myself, Daniel, my wife, Mariana, and our children, Minka and Mikhail. So this morning we're reading from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias came and placed his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. The word of the Lord. All right. Thank you for laboring through that. I uh, purposely selected that passage for them so that they would fill all the time for me. So thank you. Have a good day. I just. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC, and I'm excited to be here sharing with you a little bit on my heart, on what I've titled Faith or Fear, Responding to an Uncomfortable Truth. 
or uncomfortable truth. And another little tidbit that some of you may know or may not know, Pastor Adam, also on staff here, is, uh, is my cousin. And we have come to affectionately refer to each other as Cousin Steve and Cousin Adam for a number of years now, which is why in uh, November 2021, just this past November, when I got a text from Cousin Adam that said, hey man, do you have some time to chat soon? I was a little apprehensive. I, Cousin Adam had only ever wanted to talk on the phone once before, and that was when something bad had happened. So I'm, I'm preparing myself. Okay, yeah, I got time after 1 o'clock, let's say 1.15. So 1.15 rolls around right on the nose, phone rings, Cousin Adam, I'm preparing my heart, something bad's happening. I answer the phone, and he's very cheerful on the other end. Hey, Steve, Cousin Steve, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, Cousin Adam. That's how we always talk to each other. But uh, we went on to have a very encouraging, great conversation uh, where he started to, to share a little bit about a potential pastoral position here at TCC and uh, something that he wanted me to consider and pray about potentially looking into for myself. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. That conversation takes place in November, but way back 2007 through 2011, I attended Bible college and uh, I had been anticipating going into something like Athletes in Action or YWAM doing some sports ministry, and I adamantly declared to my wife Amanda upon graduation that I would never be a pastor. And I know I chuckle about it every time I share this. It's funny now in hindsight, but fast forward to 2018, uh, we're, we're attending a church in Calgary. We're very involved. I'm leading men's ministry just as a volunteer. And as I'm waiting in the hallway to collect my children from children's ministry, one of the elders of the church comes up to me and he says, Steve, have you ever considered going into pastoral ministry? And as we had that conversation, just casually in the hallway, I realized I'd never actually considered it. It's not something that had crossed my mind. I said no many years ago, and that was the end of the discussion. So I went away from that conversation. I spent a lot of time in very intentional prayer, some time fasting, some time seeking the Lord's direction. Is this something you actually have for me? And It was as close to an audible voice as I've ever heard from the Lord. A very distinct, yes, that's what I have for you. In fact, I've had that for you since 2010. But, you know, eight years, quick turnaround. Good job. But it was very uncomfortable for me. This call that had now been placed on my life, it was scary. It was something that I had said no to, I had no interest in. And now it's something that I had realized that I had, in fact, been called to. So back to 2021, Adam tells me, yeah, if you're interested, reach out to this guy named Norb with a B, not Norm with an M. And he sends me this email address. This random person I've never met leaves the ball in my court. It's way out of my comfort zone. I've applied for a lot of jobs before, but it's never been a process like this. Very casual, very nonchalant. So I email Norb. Long story short, here we are. I'm a pastor. Norb was not overly scary, only a little bit. (laughs) some hefty laughter from the front row fantastic but realistically you know we all have uncomfortable calls in our lives i would i doubt you know many of you are going to be called into pastoral ministry maybe some of you will but we all have uncomfortable calls stuff that's a little bit scary stuff that makes us unsure of what's next you know parents maybe you find yourself in this day and age called to speak the truth to your kids in a world where truth is up for grabs 
You know, Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up our children in the way they should go. But how, as parents, do we help our kids see God when the world says no? You know, young people, maybe you find yourself in junior high, high school, college, university, wherever you're at. You're called to stand firm in what you know is true and what you know is right. But how do you do this when you're faced with so much opposition, maybe from school, from friends, through social media, whatever that may be? Maybe you find yourself entering retirement. Maybe you've been retired for a long time. You're called to continue the race in this new stage of life. But what do you do now when perhaps your purpose seems gone? And for all of us as Christians, how do we behave in a godly way when the world, quite frankly, scoffs at you for your belief in Jesus and what that means for your life? So how do you respond to these uncomfortable calls or the difficult calls? I've got a 12-step program that I'm going to lay out for you guys today. (laughs) Again, I jest. But from the lengthy scripture passage that we're studying today, uh, I I have what I'm going to call three steps that we can pull from the the journey of Saul here. So let's get after it. Step one, acknowledge what is true. Here's a man, Saul. He's so convinced that he has the truth. He is an intelligent man. He has spent his life, he's dedicated his life to studying the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the Torah, the writings of Moses, the prophets. He's very intelligent. He knows who God is. And these Christians that are popping up saying Jesus is God and talking about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, they're wrong. He's convinced. You know, as we heard a couple weeks ago from Pastor Quinn and again last week from Pastor Norb, he, he supervised the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith. And it kicked off kind of this massive persecution of the church. And we read back in Acts 8, 4, the Christians scatter, but they keep preaching Jesus wherever they go. So the opposite of what Saul wants to take place is happening. They're preaching. They're moving around. So he decides he needs to chase them down. So that's where we come here, Acts 9, 1 and 2. He goes to the chief priest, says, write me some letters, give me authority to go, chase these people down. And bring them back here in chains so that we can put them on trial for their belief. So he travels what smarter people than me say would have been about 150 miles or a three-week journey by foot. And, you know, he throws on his Sauconies and he starts hoofing it down to Damascus. I know Sauconies are a good running brand because Pastor Adam wears Sauconies. But, you know, I, I would imagine he didn't jog the whole way, but he's going, he's hightailing it. He's got to get rid of these people. And right before he gets to Damascus, he receives a very rude awakening. He's carrying what he believes is a light into the darkness that these people are spreading. But his light, in fact, is exposed as darkness here. He, this blinding light flashes before him. He falls to the ground. And he hears someone say, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He can't see anything. He doesn't know what's going on, but he understands something dramatic is taking place. And these three words just rock his world. I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And just imagine him laying there on the ground. What? Like that. That can't be. You can't be Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus is not God. But he understands that he's being approached by God. He's having an encounter. 
Just think of what was going through his mind, you know, the shock, the enormity of his actions dawning upon him. He just supervised the murder of a man for saying that Jesus is God. He's chasing other people down with the same intent. So he has a choice here when he's encountered by Jesus on the road. You know, he could have chosen not to believe that this was Jesus. He could have chosen to believe maybe it was some incredible magic trick, uh, something put in his way by the Christians to keep him from coming and fulfilling his mission. He could have chosen to try harder to destroy the church. Despite his blindness, he could have found other ways. But he doesn't. What he does, he allows the truth to win despite the inconvenience and discomfort. You know, we all have a choice when we're encountered by Jesus. All of our stories are different, but we have all believed a lie, or many lies, to be the truth. We have been convinced of it. But have you ever been so convinced of something that you would travel 150 miles on foot to get rid of anybody who says otherwise? I know in our day and age, it's a little easier to do that. Maybe you'd log in to your Twitter account and type in full caps, berating everybody that's on the other side. But have you ever been so convinced of something that you cannot stand to be around someone who has the opposing view? And on how do you respond when you're confronted with the truth? Maybe this thing that you're so convinced of, you know, what if, it's, what if it turns out to be false? What if we've held so tightly to something that turns out to be false? How do we respond when we're confronted with the truth? Do we let the light into our darkness? Do we allow the truth to win? Which brings us to step two. Act in response to truth. Now, there's a couple things that we need to do to respond to truth. First, we need to surrender to Christ's grace. You know, Saul was told in verse 6 of chapter 9, Rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. And then, a little bit later on here, we, we read about this man, Ananias. He receives a similar, similar inconvenient truth and call. You know, verses 10 through 16, the Lord says, Ananias, I want you to go find Saul and help him out. And he says, but Lord, I, I know this man. He, he's done all sorts of terrible things to Christians in Jerusalem, and he's here to do the same thing. He's here to arrest or kill people exactly like me. Why would I go see him? You know, but God speaks more thoroughly to him. He shows grace. He shows his character and says, no, this man will be a chosen instrument for me. I'm going to use him, and I need you to exercise your faith and do as I'm asking. So despite the terror that I know he would be feeling, as, as any of us would, Ananias believes the word he receives, the truth, and he changes his response. He goes in search of a Christian killer. And, you know, we are all shown that same grace through Jesus, and we must surrender to that. So secondly, we need to surrender to Christ's purpose. You know, Saul here is called to a complete 180 of his previous direction. And John Stott says this of the event, He who had expected to enter Damascus in the fullness of his pride and prowess as a self-confident opponent of Christ was actually led into it, humbled and blinded, a captive of the very Christ he had opposed. And in verse 17 of chapter 9 here, there's this response to Christ's purpose. Ananias understands that he's being called to something greater. So he departs and he enters the house. 
And laying his hands on him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there's some discussion and debate here over whether Saul's conversion took place on the road, whether it took place now or somewhere in between in, the, in those intervening days. Ultimately, that doesn't really matter a whole lot. But Ananias at this point knows that Saul has encountered Jesus, that Saul has fallen in love with him as he had. He calls him brother. He understands what's happening. You know, and immediately scales, something like scales fall from Saul's eyes. And he can see, both metaphorically and literally. Like, physically he can see again, but metaphorically he can see the truth. He understands. And then immediately he gets up and he's baptized. That outward display of the inward change that we've discussed. We just had a baptism here recently. He's baptized, presumably by Ananias. And then he immediately begins to act as an advocate for Jesus rather than a hate-filled persecutor. You know, we too have an opportunity to respond to God's call. Now, as we're told in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, maybe, maybe it's not a complete 180 like Saul's. Maybe it's a slight variation in the way that you're living your life. But as Stott says again, you know, we may not be struck by lightning, fall to the ground blind, or hear our name called out in Aramaic, but we too can and we must experience a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, surrender to him in faith, and receive his summons to service. You know, our response should also be immediate. Jesus told us at the, the end of his ministry here on earth uh, in Matthew chapter 28, 19 to 20, go and make disciples. That was his call for us. So our response should be immediate as we encounter Jesus and in response to his grace and his purpose, go and make disciples. Now, that can be scary at times. How do you share the truth of this resurrected Jesus that you've encountered with others? Maybe it's a quick conversation over coffee. Maybe you invite them to Alpha here in the fall and, uh, and chat about what that means for your life and their life and life in general. Step three, continue in faith despite the challenges. You know, Saul immediately proclaims Jesus right after this event. Realistically, he's got no idea what he's doing. He's a very intelligent man. He understands the scriptures well, but he has known Jesus for a few days. And he goes out and he starts preaching the truth of this resurrected Jesus from his personal experience, sharing it with others. You know, and he's able to connect the dots, look back through the Old Testament scriptures, and realize they're pointing to Jesus. And he starts flabbergasting the, the other Jewish people in the synagogues proclaiming Jesus, proving to them that he was and is the Messiah. And soon, he starts experiencing challenges himself. The Jews don't like hearing that. They decide they need to kill him. You know, in verses 23 through 25, we read, they try to kill him. They're watching the gates day and night. They don't want to let him leave the city. But those who have begun following him help him out, lower him down through a window, through a hole in the wall, and he escapes Damascus. You know, and the way that, that Luke writes this for us in Acts makes it seem like this all happens sequentially, one after the other, super quick. 
But really, this process of growth in Saul, you know, who later becomes Paul and writes effectively half of, of our New Testament today, that, that's not instant. He, he spends roughly three years from when he flees Damascus until he comes back and goes to Jerusalem. And in fact, he says when he writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 1, 16 through 18, speaking of God, he says, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. So he goes, he spends three years studying, learning, spreading the word, talking about the resurrected Jesus. You know, it's possible that Jesus was ministering to him for these three years like he had with the other apostles. We don't know what took place. But during that period, Saul comes back and he comes to Jerusalem. But the challenge is the opposition don't stop for him there. He comes to Jerusalem. It's been three years. Verse 26, though, he's not accepted. The church is afraid of him. They're handcuffed by that fear. Like, word had to have reached them. It's been three years. They had to have known what took place, what transpired. They had to have heard. Yet they're still terrified of this man. The last time they saw him, he was, he was overseeing the, the killing of their friend Stephen. But Barnabas comes along, and he brings him before the apostles, and he says, no, this man has legitimately changed. He's been preaching boldly about Jesus. He has changed. So the apostles accept him, and he's allowed to move freely. But not very long after that, you know, he's moving freely. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the resurrected Jesus. And the Hellenistic Jews now decide they need to kill him. The Jews really love killing people when they don't like what they have to say. So they try to kill him. The apostles learn of this, and they send him back home to his original home, Tarsus. Say, you know, you've got to go lay low for a little while. And... Uh, and we'll figure this out. But really thank God for those who exercised faith over fear in response to uncomfortable truth. You know, Ananias would have been terrified. I mean, wouldn't we all? Yet he found Saul and he introduced him to the Christians in Damascus. He had faith that what he had heard was true. And Barnabas, who later did the same in Jerusalem, you know, church history may have turned out very differently if it weren't for these men. If they had responded differently, if they'd been handcuffed by the fear that they were feeling and chosen not to respond to the truth. You know, would Saul have regained his sight, eventually been welcomed into the fold, um, you know, gone on to proclaim Jesus, become Paul, and write all these letters that we study today? I'm sure God would have found another way to fulfill his purpose. But those men would have lost an opportunity to grow in their faith. They would have lost the opportunity to see these amazing things with their own eyes and experience the thrill of walking in step with the Spirit in spite of fear. You know, despite the challenges and opposition, we hear at the end of this, this section in verse 31 of chapter 9 that the church experiences a period of peace. You know, these Jews are still, they're trying to kill Saul. They're obviously still bent on destroying the church. They don't like it. But despite that, they experience a period of peace. 
And the church continues growing exponentially. And it says in verse 31, While walking in the fear of the Lord and with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little confusing for me. I'm talking about not being afraid. We're not supposed to be fearful, yet we're supposed to fear the Lord and walk in the fear of the Lord. So I'm briefly just going to touch on that. The, the fear of the Lord here is an understanding of his character, his holiness, his call for justice, his call for, for perfection, really. You know, we can't measure up to his requirements. We cannot measure up to what, what that means. But that's where Jesus comes in. He filled that gap. And now we are called, as a result of, of that grace shown through Jesus, to be in wonder of a, a God who is just, who is holy, who is perfect, and yet who meets us, calls us his children, and calls us to love him and love others. You know, this fear is an understanding of our plight and God's character, but flipped to an action of accepting his love and grace and walking in step with his spirit who will comfort us along the way. But we will experience opposition or challenges along the way. And I'm just thinking, as parents... Maybe our children don't want to hear the truth. Maybe they don't like what you have to say. Maybe you're struggling to compete with the, the other voices that are telling them other things. You know, my wife Amanda and I moved to Edmonton just a couple months ago. And it hasn't been without struggle. You know, I, I know without a doubt that I was called to pastoral ministry. I know without a doubt that called here to TCC. But it's hard for younger kids to understand that. And, you know, we're, we've uprooted. We've moved not too far, but from Calgary to Edmonton. And it's been a bit of a struggle at times. You know, there's been amazing blessing in that. And yet it has also been difficult to, to navigate, to walk through the change in life and to walk through what that means for them following dad. So parents, you know, there, there are going to be struggles even within your own home at times. You're battling against competing voices. You're battling against what your kids want to hear versus what you're telling them. Students, you know, maybe you find yourself, no matter what stage of school you're in, maybe you find yourself losing some friends. Maybe you find yourself left out at school. You know, retirees, as you enter into retirement, or maybe you've been retired for a long time, Maybe you feel you've been told you're not needed anymore. Maybe that sense of purpose is gone. And perhaps all of us as Christians, you know, no matter our age or stage of life, maybe we're told that our views are archaic and have no place in society any longer, and we have to battle against that. You know, but the reality is we're going to experience opposition it's going to be uncomfortable. But that does not change the call. That does not change the call in our lives. You know, ultimately, we have all fallen short. You know, Saul, later Paul, writes, as he writes to the church in Rome, Romans 3.23, we have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. You know, we all have believed some lies. We, we all carry some darkness with us. 
But we don't have to stay there. And when we encounter Jesus, we not only accept the salvation that comes through him, but we ask him to be Lord of our life, to enter our lives. And we say, what's next? What's next, Jesus? So how do we respond when Jesus calls us to something greater, something uncomfortable or downright scary? You know, Saul chose faith, and he immediately started sharing the good news of the resurrected Jesus with others, even in the face of the very same persecution that he once doled out. Ananias chose faith. He believed Jesus, and he walked into a house where a man who arrested and killed people like him was waiting. You know, the apostles chose faith and believed Barnabas, welcoming Saul into the fellowship, into the community, into the church. Even though they would have felt fear, and that carried the very real potential for harm still. You know, but, and that's what each one of us is called to do. Choose faith. When we do, we'll experience amazing things. Saul got to see people trapped in sin and darkness, set free for the remainder of his life. Ananias got to see a murderer who quite literally hated him, transformed by the same Jesus that he knew, and he was able to call him brother. Barnabas got to see that same man accepted into the church and begin to spread the good news of Jesus. You know, and countless people have had the opportunity to encounter Jesus because of these moments in history, because of these responses, when they respond through faith rather than fear. And countless more will when we choose faith over fear as well. As we go, as we go and seek to make disciples, as we go to share Jesus with those that we encounter in our day-to-day lives, when we choose faith over the fear that could potentially handcuff us, we'll see amazing things transpire. I'm the opposite of the other pastors. I'm a tad early, but I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I'll leave you with this as they come. You know, whether we encountered Jesus decades ago or just yesterday, Uh, Let us be reminded of the grace given to us through Jesus and exercise our faith like Saul, like Ananias, like Barnabas, and like the apostles. And let us boldly, in the face of uncertainty or even danger, I know right now we don't often experience that, but it could come. And let us boldly, in the face of that, follow the call placed on our life and share the good news of the resurrected Jesus with others through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, if you find yourself saying, I've never encountered Jesus before, then maybe today's the day. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross, for the sacrifice that you made to give us the opportunity to become part of your family to call God Father. And Lord, thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that you walk with us each and every day. Lord, I ask that your Spirit would remind us of these truths and would remind us 
to choose faith over fear as we go from here in today and in the coming days and weeks ahead. Lord, and just bless each one here. I ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.